Hello and welcome to Cardio Care Now, a special podcast series led by Dr. Seth Martin. Dr. Martin is a cardiologist and an associate professor at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions or consultant 360. Welcome everyone back to the Cardio Care Now podcast. We are really pleased to have Dr. Alex Santu from Stanford join us as our guest today. Dr. Sandu is an assistant professor at Stanford. He's a heart failure specialist and has really been a tremendous collaborator in our American Heart Association, our HA Health Tech SFRN um, network, where he has been leading our collaborative team on a project using health technology to engage patients um, and improve guideline-directed medical therapy in the heart failure population. This is just one of multiple projects that Dr. Sanders worked on in, in this area, and he's really a leader in the cutting edge of heart failure care. And so I, I'm really uh, pleased to have him joining us and just have the chance to to pick his brain and learn from him alongside the audience. So Alex, Dr. Sandu, great to have you joining the podcast. Seth, thank you so much for, for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, it's great to just have this time to to talk about a topic that we're both um, very interested and passionate about, and that's the care of, of heart failure patients. I, I wanted to kind of get your thinking just first of all around sort of what the current problem is, you know, based on your perspective observing the barriers to heart failure care on the on the front lines as a heart failure specialist, but also you're uniquely kind of familiar with the literature on heart failure care and, and the gaps um, in care that's been observed with GDMT. We now have four pillars of, of heart failure management for patients with HEFREF, but um, there's been significant gaps. And, and I wonder if you could just share a, a bit more details of what those gaps are that you're seen in heart failure care and, and what your kind of latest framing is of the problem. Yeah, thank you, Seth. I think the background here is really important. Heart failure, as we know, causes substantial morbidity in terms of mortality, hospitalizations, impairment of quality of life. We're incredibly lucky that we have multiple evidence-based medications that reduce the risk of death of a hospitalization and also improve how patients feel with relatively modest side effect profiles. Current estimates, the kind of that the comp combination of therapies that are commonly referred to as guideline-directed medical therapy or GDMT reduces the risk of death by over 70% in patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. But but unfortunately, data from you know multiple health systems now continue to reflect suboptimal treatment among patients with heart failure. And, and this is consistent across inpatient and outpatient registries in the fee-for-service U.S. health system and in the VA and outside of the U.S. as well. While we've had improvement in, you know, inpatient quality of care, led, you know, largely by inpatient registries such as the American Heart Association's Get With the Guidelines, we continue to see substantial inertia in optimizing patients' medications after discharge. In most national registries, Less than 40% of eligible patients are on mineral corticoid receptor antagonists, or MRAs. We continue to see sacubitril valsartan rates uptrend, but quite slowly with the vast majority of eligible patients not on sacubitril valsartan. And then most patients who are discharged on medical therapy um, have very little uptitration. And we saw that from the CHAMP-HF registry, 
where the vast majority of patients stay on less than 50% of the target doses for both beta blockers and RAS inhibitors. So I, I think we have very large gaps in the current use of medical therapy compared with where we want to be to really try to optimize our outcomes. Yeah, thank you so much for that framing and background. And it is the case in much of cardiology and, and, and medicine that there's gaps in the use of evidence-based medical therapies, but it is particularly striking in heart failure, given the sheer number of people that have heart failure, the morbidity and mortality associated with it, as well as the large, you said, 70% reduction in mortality associated with the use of GDMT. So it, it really is particularly striking in the heart failure population. And the, you know, there, there are multiple barriers. I get, you know, I guess before we move on to some of the clinical, the recent clinical trial evidence, I'm just curious, you know, what are some of the key barriers you, you see in, in the literature and your, your practice in terms of getting patients started on the four pillars of GDMT and up titrating doses? Yeah, really, really important point to think through what, what those barriers are before we understand kind of how we can move forward. I like to start with talking about cost because it's often one of the most commonly cited barriers. And out-of-pocket cost is an important barrier specifically for the newer therapies, Sucubitril, Valsartan, and SGLT inhibitors. But that's not the main driver. And, and I say that because, you know, even in the VA where medication costs are minimal, out-of-pocket medication costs are minimal, we see very similar rates of treatment with these brand name therapies as we see outside of the VA. And even for a therapy such as MRA, which have been generic for years, we continue to see very low rates of, of treatment with MRAs. So I, I think we have to think about the barriers beyond cost. And, and I like to bucket them into kind of clinician level barriers, health system level barriers, and patient level barriers. To, to start with kind of thinking about some of those clinician level barriers, I think there are gaps in our understanding of the benefits and risks of these medications. And there's somewhat of a myth of kind of the stable heart failure patient. Someone's admitted to the hospital is very symptomatic. They're decongested with loop diuretics. And after discharge, they might be minimally symptomatic. And there's some assumption that that patient that's minimally symptomatic is, is relatively stable and, and, and low risk. Well, well, that's not the truth that, the, you know, heart failure has a waxing and waning course, but it is a progressive condition. And without optimal therapy, um, those patients remain at, at substantial risk. I think the other kind of major clinician level barrier is that all of our patients and especially our heart failure patients have many comorbid conditions. And there's only so much time in a given clinical encounter to, to kind of focus on, on heart failure as opposed to the many other concerns and conditions that we have to help our patients with. And, and I think that kind of ties into the, the next set of, of barriers with regards to kind of health system level barriers. Traditionally, medication titration happens during clinic encounters, but there's only so much bandwidth with regards to clinic volumes. You know, we already see that wait times for specialty care continues to increase, and, and it's likely even a larger problem for primary care. And I think the second kind of health system related challenge is that health system reimbursement is on a fee for service basis. Our system, you know, doesn't incentivize us to focus on optimizing medical therapy. And in fact, there's, there's in some ways financial disincentives. It, it takes longer to check on your patient after they leave a clinic visit to see how they feel on new medications. It takes longer 
and, and requires additional clinic investment to be calling patients to remind them about the lab checks that you have to do to make sure that patients, you know, are safely up titrated on medical therapy. And finally, I think, you know, access to care in general, and especially access to specialty care is a major barrier, especially for patients in rural communities and in safety net communities. The vast majority of heart failure care is not delivered by heart failure specialists like me. It's delivered by general cardiologists or for many patients with heart failure, most of their care, if not all, is delivered by their primary care clinician. So there's definitely um, workforce supply considerations. And then finally, I, I think uh, a lot of it comes down to, to patients. Have we done enough to help patients understand the reasons for medication therapy optimization, to know where the goalposts are and where they currently sit and how they can get to better therapy? Often, as mentioned before, patients feel better after they leave the hospital. And so they already feel better. They got put on multiple medications. They're not quite sure what the benefits are of adding additional therapies. And there's real concerns about polypharmacy and side effects, especially for our older patients with heart failure that take so many medications for other reasons. And then similarly to, to the challenge of titration in the clinic, there's a real burden with regards to both cost and time of going to the clinic frequently for medication adjustments. And there's a kind of parallel concern about the safety of up titrating medications in between visits. So I think there's a large number of barriers on the clinician, health system, and patient level that all contribute to this kind of major gap that we have. Thanks, Alex. That was really insightful and clear um, description of the key barriers. I mean, this is a large problem with large barriers. So it's it's going to take a, a large and highly innovative solution to really start getting to where we, we need to be. But, but we have started to see some glimpses into this, right, with some of the recent clinical trials and tying in with some of what you just described there related to heart failure hospitalizations. We had a really interesting result with the uh, implement HF trial using a pharmacist physician GDMT team there for patients while they're heart failure patients while they were hospitalized. And then we had the strong HF trial uh, looking at rapid up titration of GDMD post-discharge. So I know you're intimately familiar with these trials, and these are kind of helping inform some of the strategies that can be taken. And ultimately, we, we may need kind of to a hybrid of, of strategies that work to really get to where we want to be. But I wonder, do you want to dive into those trials a little bit? more and kind of what you kind of were impressed by with those trials and, and what some of your key takeaways were? Yeah, I'd absolutely love to. Two really exciting trials that, as you said, I think do inform us about the, the, the direction we need to go and some novel potential strategies. So Implement HF, really exciting trial led by Ankit Bhatt when he was at the, the, the Partners Healthcare System, took patients that were hospitalized with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. And I think what was, was really interesting, these are not patients that are all hospitalized for heart failure. They could have been hospitalized for any reason, but they have heart failure and are in the hospital. And the trial recognizes the fact that being in the hospital is an incredibly unique opportunity to optimize care, regardless of the reason you're there. Patients get frequent labs, frequent assessments for symptoms, and frequent vitals monitoring. So they randomize these individuals to either virtual care team consultation or usual care. The virtual care team provided daily recommendations on GDMT initiation or up titration. 
as you mentioned, that virtual care team consisted of both a clinician and a clinical pharmacist. And what they found was across 250 hospitalizations, those that received virtual care had larger increases in medical therapy. They were far more likely to be started on beta blocker, MRA, and SGLT2 inhibitor. So I, I think it's an example of kind of thinking outside the box and using routine kind of clinical encounters and leveraging the kind of full spectrum of the care team to really move the needle. And I think it also demonstrates that, you know, while we're talking a lot about optimizing outpatient heart failure care, that, that a lot of that starts for our highest risk individuals when they're in the hospital and doing as much as we can to optimize their care there. I think the, the counterpoint to that is e even with such a great, powerful intervention, there were still substantial gaps in optimal medical therapy at the time of discharge. And I think this points to the fact that we, we're still going to need to find solutions for improving medical therapy post-discharge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the post-discharge period kind of uh, leads to the strong HF results, as, right, as well as just some of the team-based approaches that are happening at health systems for early you know, clinic follow-up with nurse practitioners and, and heart failure teams. Do you want to um, speak to, to some of that? Um, and then, of course, we are going to transition to talking some about the direct work that that you're leading and how some of this comes together in the .HF trial. But um, let's let's think through this post-discharge period a, a little bit more first. Yeah, I would love to. So, so first, I, I think um, any of this conversation definitely has to include strong HF. So, so multiple trials have demonstrated the benefits of heart failure medical therapy are observed early in the course of treatment. But, but the kind of safety and net benefit of rapid optimization of therapies was unclear, I think, until strong HF. So strong HF um, took 80 hospitals across 14 countries and enrolled over 1,000 patients with heart failure. And they randomized them to either usual care or rapid medication up titration combined with close monitoring for signs of decompensation. And, and what they did was they up titrated therapy a couple days before discharge. And then they again up titrated therapy to kind of maximally tolerated or optimal doses two weeks after discharge. So I think far more of an aggressive up titration protocol than what's been traditionally used in clinical care. And the results were, were, were quite dramatic. They had much higher rates of optimal um, doses or target doses for renin-angiotensin uh, system inhibitors, beta blockers, and mineral corticoid receptor antagonists. And what they found is those in the rapid up titration arm had significantly lower rates of all-cause death and heart failure hospitalization at six months. I think strong HF um, in many ways is the, the kind of has, has created the emphasis on us needing to find ways to rapidly and safely up titrate therapies as part of routine care. It's really kind of set the agenda. And now we have to try to develop strategies for doing that. And I think there's, there's two other studies that are really worth mentioning that I think have also been quite innovative and really help us think through what some of those strategies should be. The first is um, the PROMPT HF trial, which was done um, out of Yale, this healthcare system led by Tariq Ahmed, and it took 1,300 patients, outpatients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, and it randomized their clinician to either usual care or an EHR clinical decision support alert 
notifying that clinician at the time of an encounter that the patient has an opportunity for GDMTF titration. And it was a, a positive trial, showed that 26% of the intervention arm had increased in their GDMT compared with 19% of the control arm. So, so I think really powerful that a, a intervention that would be easy for a health system to implement can make a large difference. But I think it's also quite striking that the vast majority of patients still didn't have enough titration in their medical therapy. And I think it shows that we need to go beyond just thinking about how we nudge for medication up titration during a clinical encounter and have to think about ways to, to facilitate that up titration both during and between visits and not just provide the, the information that it's needed. And that's what um, kind of leads to EPIC-HF, which, which in my opinion is one of the most important studies for kind of optimizing medical therapy in cardiovascular disease in the last several years. And this trial was led by Larry Allen at Colorado. Um, they took 290 outpatients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, and they randomized them to either usual care or what I would describe as a fairly simple intervention. They gave them a three-minute video discussing the benefits of medical therapy and a one-page checklist of heart failure medications. The checklist included what patients' medications were and what the target doses of those medications were. And in both the video and in the checklist, it gave patients the basic message of working with their clinician to make one positive change. They sent those notifications to the patients one week, three days, and one day before the clinic visit. And with that relatively simple intervention, nearly 50% of the intervention arm had therapy intensification compared with 30% of the usual care arm. I think it's an incredibly remarkable study and one of the first studies to show us the incredible power of empowering patients and, and using the patient voice to improve quality of care. Yeah, completely agree. Um, it's a very powerful study in that regard and something I totally, totally buy into. And in fact, we've taken some inspiration uh, from the software approach that Larry Allen and the team used to create animated videos and in creating patient education within our kind of individual projects in the HA network, as well as the collaborative projects. So we were grateful to him to guiding us to that a powerful approach to patient education. So I guess, and we'll get a little bit more into our collaborative project, but I, you know, I guess at a high level, you know, these are really four complementary trials that have immediate kind of takeaways for clinicians on the front lines today, whether it's around the power of incorporating more patient education materials into your practice, particularly pre-visit, whether it's incorporating EHR prompts and nudges whether it's implementing more of a team-based approach for patients with heart failure, whether, you know, as you said, whether or not they're hospitalized with heart failure, taking advantage of having someone who's in the hospital for any reason to optimize their heart failure drugs, and then focusing on rapid up titration post-discharge, again, ideally uh, using a team-based approach to facilitate, you know, frequent touch points and, and of titration, as well as um, you know, lab measurement to, and so forth to assess safety. So these are four powerful and complementary trials that really did a nice job informing kind of the, the strategies that we wanted to take in the collaborative network. So do you want to um, maybe share a bit about what we're doing with .hf and how we're trying to bring some of these learnings together and, and innovate with 
eEngage HF app and the future trial we're doing to, to try to move this in a positive direction for heart failure patients? Yeah, definitely, Seth. And and I agree completely. I think we learned a lot from these four studies and others in this space and, and, and other thought leaders in this space about how we really have to leverage the power of patient engagement and buy-in along with facilitating clinician uptitration, making it easier for them by collecting data to help make it easier during during and between traditional clinical encounters, and that we think that digital health can play a huge role in doing that. So .HF, as, as Seth has mentioned, is, is a multi-center collaboration across five American Heart Association health technology and innovation strategically focused research network centers, Johns Hopkins, University of Michigan, Cincinnati Children's, and University of Washington as a single center, Boston University, and Stanford. And, and what we're doing is we're working together to develop and test a digital toolkit to improve post-discharge heart failure care with the goals of integrating patient education engagement along with clinician-level nudges to optimize therapy. And we've approached this project in, in multiple phases. Our, our first phase started with human-centered design work led by uh, your team, Seth, at Hopkins, where we gathered patients with heart failure, caregivers of patients with heart failure, and clinicians, and we got their feedback on you know, what their thoughts are about barriers for post-discharge heart failure care, and especially heart failure medication optimization. We then took those learnings, as well as the, the learnings of kind of other studies in this space, and developed a smartphone application, um, Engage HF app, that combines patient education with animated educational videos. As, as you mentioned, we use the same software that uh, Dr. Allen's group used in Epic HF. We also incorporated monitoring of ambulatory vitals and health status and embedded a medication checklist very similar to Epic HF within the app. And then we created a parallel clinician dashboard that collects all that information to both nudge medication up titration during and between visits and to make it easier for clinicians to access and review home vital signs and home health status. So we're now testing that platform in a pilot study before planning to adapt that and then test it in a multi-center clinical trial to evaluate it if it improves heart failure medication optimization. And I think what's really exciting about this is that in parallel with us doing this in the United States, the team at University of Washington and Cincinnati Children's led by Chris Longnecker have developed a collaboration with Luisa Brandt at uh, Universidad Federal de Minas Gerais in Brazil. And, and what they did is they took the um, application that we built in the US, as well as lessons um, that their own very established telehealth center has done doing remote heart failure management. And they built a Brazilian version of the app and they're currently testing that in a multi-center trial in Belo Horizonte, Brazil. I think overall, our hope is, is that we can provide a guide for how we can use digital health tools to empower heart failure patients and make it easier for clinicians to have the data and the patient engagement to optimize therapy outside of the hospital. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, thanks for your leadership on, on this. And we, uh, we don't yet have results to share with the audience, but certainly down the line, we're, it's, this is an exciting project and we're excited to share results from this from this effort and I love the fact that it's uh there's a, a global collaboration with our colleagues in Brazil and the opportunity for reciprocal innovation I guess as we get you know towards the end of our conversation I wanted to 
just think very futuristically. You know, it, let's say our our pilot and our trial go really well, and you know, there, there's others that are focused on this big problem as well, doing important studies, trials. As things continue to advance, and we think about the expansion of digital health and artificial intelligence and the changing, you know, the shifting landscape towards value-based care. By the way, we didn't have time to get too much into that today, the value-based care, but you also were a co-chair on a HA statement on value-based care. So just thinking about how these innovations, both in terms of care delivery technology, as well as kind of the way that care is incentivized and reimbursed, you know, where do you, where do you see this going? If you think out, you know, five years, 10 years from now, as your, as your kids are, are getting uh, older and going to higher grade schools and so forth, you know, what do you think the, this is going to look like for the heart failure patient? What are, you know, if we're a clinician there in the hospital or the clinic, what, what is it going to, going to look like compared to today? Yeah. Thanks for that wonderful question, Seth. I think it comes down to the fact that patients spend almost all of their time outside of the hospital and outside of the clinic. And I think the future of heart failure care is going to be continuous care based on how someone's doing in their daily life and not with just, you know, every three month clinic visits. Heart failure is such a waxing and waning condition with with ups and downs that are unpredictable that the idea of kind of scheduling a visit and seeing how someone's doing in, you know, three months, four months, one month is going to end up being suboptimal to just having regular continuous care that's optimizing their medications, monitoring for signs of decompensation on on a daily basis. It's going to allow us to more rapidly adjust medicines, deliver timely timely education, and ward off decompensation before they end up in the hospital. I, I think there's big steps that we need to take before we get there. I think developing the right digital health tools and evaluating those digital health tools is a critical one. And I'm so excited about our collaboration and and what we and many others are doing in terms of developing and then evaluating the right tools to help us provide that care. And I think you brought up the other, you know, huge barrier, which is going to be health system design and reimbursement. And I think in the future, we are heading for a world where especially for chronic conditions that require continuous care to give our patients the best care, we're going to have to shift to systems that reimburse health systems for the, the quality of care and the global care they provide rather than you know an individual clinic visit or an individual hospitalization. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Yeah, I, I really like the way you describe that as the, as the shift towards continuous care model and that can apply to heart failure and other cardiovascular and, and chronic conditions and really could be an approach that could much better serve our our patients. Um, I did want to leave the audience just with any of your kind of recommendations for further reading or, or resources. Of course, we did mention four key trials, uh, Implement HF, Strong HF, Prompt HF, and Epic HF. So those are if you're interested, would encourage folks to check out those manuscript publications. But are there other resources, Alex, that you wanted to recommend to the audience? I think I think each of those trials, as you mentioned, is an important one. There was also a phenomenal statement paper about telehealth and health equity in older adults with heart failure that was released by the American Heart Association, I believe, just last week. And I think it not only covers a lot of the same topics that, that we're uh, kind of describing now, 
but also um, really frames it in the lens of health equity. And I think whenever we have conversations about digital health, I know you and your group at Hopkins is incredibly passionate about this, Seth. We have to think about how we design health technology for, for all of our patients and we use it to narrow rather than widen disparities. So I think that's an incredibly um, important paper to kind of include in this conversation. Thanks so much, Alex. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time today. You're really uniquely qualified to talk on this topic. So it was a, a really fun to get to pick your brain. And I hope the uh, audience found, found this information useful. And thanks so much for tuning in. Alex, I will uh, see you soon in Philly. Yeah. Thanks so much, Seth. And uh, looking forward to seeing you in Philly. Thank you. For more cardiology content, visit our website, consultant360.com.